Thank you, Chris. And welcome, everyone. Good morning again. We are in Nehemiah chapter 8. And for those of you just joining us, who is Nehemiah? Um, those of you that are here can, uh, can explain that to those people. The last, uh, I don't know, 10 weeks or whatever, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah took place in the Old Testament. And Nehemiah took place at the very end of the Old Testament writings or the Old Testament canon or Bible or, or however you'd like to say it. And it is a historical book. It's a record of history of what God did to fulfill his promise to bring his people back to the land of Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, where they not only rebuilt the temple, but they also rebuilt the walls. And so where we are in the story right now is they just rebuilt the walls. This is a scattered nation. There's not many people that have returned, although there is a, a, a significant amount, but not all of them have come back to the city. And so Nehemiah <clears throat> finishes the walls. And then last week we were introduced to a new character who we all, if you read the Bible, you're, you're familiar with him. Or if you come to this church, you're familiar with him because he's my youngest son's name, Ezra. And they're vastly two different people. <laughs> those of you that know my son. And so Ezra was introduced into the picture. And the beautiful thing that Ezra brought us last week was reformation. He brought us the word of God. You see, that was what was missing. We had the temple, we had the walls built, the people were all there, but now the hearts needed to be worked on. And so they gave the word of God to these people. And the Jewish people felt they were pierced by the word of God. They were impacted by the word of God because they were reading from the book of the law. And as, excuse me, they hear all these things they're supposed to be doing, they're just rushing back through their life going, I've never done any of these things. This is what my God has wanted me to do. And so they they. They were just broken by it. And the reason why they were broken by it, as we're going to see today, is because they understood the word of God. And you see, what I mean is, is the priests and the Levites broke it down so they could understand the true sense of the word and understand what the word of God meant. Because unless you understand the word of God and what the meaning and the intention is of the writer and of the hearers, then you're really not getting what God intended when he inspired this scripture. So it's very important to rely on the Holy Spirit when you're reading, but also to do your due diligence to say, hey, like in verse 8 of Nehemiah, they read from the book of the law, translating it to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And that's when things will wash over you and will hit you like a ton of bricks. And that's what happened as we're going to read now. So let's go to verse nine. This is where we are. Now we're only going to be in three verses today <clears throat> because I really want to focus on one concept. But let me read the, the passage first. So verse nine, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the, uh, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Now when you see this, Lord your God, those are two different words. And just take a little pause here. Lord is uh, usually when you see it in all caps, that means Yahweh. Okay? 
And then when you see the word God, G-O-D, that means Elohim. And so the Elohim is plural. And this is where we get the foundation of our triune belief of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is also singular. He's also one. And, uh, and again, that's a, a mystery that we'll understand at some point. But when you read the Bible, you see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one God. And they were all equal in substance, in power, in value, everything. They're, the, they're one, but they're three. And so <clears throat> this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now, what day is this? Do you remember? It's the first day of the seventh month, which is the Feast of the Trumpets. It's a day of celebration. And they were commanded to read the law and celebrate. But because they hadn't heard it for so long and they weren't obeying, they were mourning and weeping. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, then he said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the, to the Lord, to, to, um, this day is holy to our Lord. I thought they were say Lord about it. And then he says here, do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's the verse that I really want to sort of zoom into today. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I thought for some reason this was all over the scriptures. It's actually piecemealed around the scriptures. But that quote, the joy of the Lord is your strength, is only right here in Nehemiah 8. So, verse 11. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still. You know, don't go crazy here. For the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Amen. Now, when, some, when you think about joy, because <clears throat> that's what I want to talk about, the joy of the Lord being our strength. And I know many of you are getting ready to go back out to college. You're going off to the school. You're going to a new place. You're going to have new experiences. You're going to have all these new things happening to you. And chances are God is going to challenge you. Especially those that are leaving to go to third world countries. God is going to challenge you. And the joy of the Lord has to be your strength. But what is joy? <clears throat> when asked the difference between joy, because you know, you always get the comparison. Well, what's joy and what's happiness and what are the differences? Well, J.D. Salinger, the author of Catcher in the Rye, wrote, the most singular difference between joy and happiness is that happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid. Now, I'm not sure that I completely agree with that, but I understand what he's trying to say. These are vastly different things. Joy and happiness are two different things. They are not interchangeable. And I might all go as far as say that they could even be opposites from a biblical perspective. Joy can be a feeling of great pleasure that brings happiness, but they're not interchangeable. You see, happiness does not require what joy requires. Happiness can come from material things. You get new things, wow, that makes me happy. You watch a good movie, you walk out of the theater, you text your friend, hey, this was great, I was happy, that made me laugh. 
Happiness can come from material things. Joy does not and cannot. Happiness can come from money. Joy cannot be bought with any amount of money. True joy. Happiness can come from sin. Joy cannot come from sin. Never, ever, ever can true joy come from partaking in the sin. When you're partaking in it, you're happy as all get out. But then afterwards, you're miserable. And sin goes, gotcha. But joy, you could be in the midst of, a, of, of the worst horrific situation. And it can be there. But what is the difference? What does joy require that happiness does not? And that is selflessness. Joy requires selflessness. Happiness does not. Happiness can be selfish. Joy can never be because joy is always based on love. Now remember, <clears throat> Galatians 5, 22 to 23 tells of the fruit, not the fruits, it's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. Now it's singular, so this means that all the elements of the fruit are interconnected. Notice in Paul's listing of the fruit, joy comes second after love. Love comes first. The text reads, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. They are all hinged on love and self-control. Those are the two things keeping all of these things together. But love is the foundation of each of these things listed as the fruit of the Spirit. All the other fruits listed as well. Biblical love is the foundation. And biblical love is always, 1,000% of the time, God and others focused. Biblical love. It's God first and then others second. Therefore, true biblical joy, as well as the other fruit listed, is always selfless and God and others centered. So here in Nehemiah 8, the Israelites have heard the word and the conviction of sin from hearing the words leads them to mourn and weep. But Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites encourage them not to grieve because the joy of the Lord is their strength. You see, Paul said that I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ that lives in me. Paul also talked about joy unspeakable as he was in prison, writing letters for many years. <clears throat> this selfless joy, I guess you could say, must be our strength as well. <clears throat> but how do we get it? Especially like the context of this right now is after these people have severely messed up. And not even necessarily just individually, but as a people as a whole, they have just been rebellious against God through their whole history. And they've seen, this is, remember, at the end of the Old Testament history, they've seen God deliver their nation over and over and over again with his loving kindness, his grace, his patience, and his fatherly discipline. And then ultimately they knew, especially at this point around 455 BC, remember Christ came around 5 BC or 
there's arguments, but around that time. And we know that this is God's, this is it. After Nehemiah, we have Malachi who actually preaches to, me, to Nehemiah uh, to, during that time. But God has promised that I am going to deliver you, my people. So they're waiting for the deliverance. And just as they're seeing the walls built and the temple ready and, 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 and wow, God is delivering us. Uh, 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 one second here. The word of God pierces their heart and they start to weep and they start to cry. So the context here is they've messed up. They were convicted by sin, of sin, by the word. And today we need to look at how we can make the Lord, our God, the source of our joy. That way it can strengthen us during these vulnerable times of mess up. During these vulnerable times of not just mess up, but mess up and repentance. With then saying, now what, Lord? Now where do I go? How am I going to be strong now? He's saying, don't worry I will be. My joy is going to be given to you, selfless people, and that is going to be your strength. And so since the joy of the Lord provides us our strength, we have to remember this and call upon the Lord during these times when conviction of sin is brought on and, of course, after repentance. And how did they do it? Well, this whole passage, there's a lot of repetition. Now, when we see repetition in Scripture, we have to realize it's not ever there by mistake. There's nothing in Scripture done by mistake. It's not just so happens that they told these people three or four times, do not mourn or weep. Okay, And this is in verse 9. That's the first time. And then they told them to go celebrate. This day is holy to the Lord. Second, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And again, in the 11th verse, do not be grieved. So we see this, this three times he's telling them this. When we see that thrice uh, holy in, in Isaiah, we know holy, holy, holy. It's, it's trying to not say, it's saying, I can't even over-exaggerate how holy God is. He's so holy. And so they are so adamant about not grieving after repentance and not grieving and mourning after conviction of sin, but relying on the Lord as the joy of their strength. And that was the first thing. Don't mourn or weep. <clears throat> they knew that God's forgiveness was there and they saw these promises fulfilled and they saw what God did with Nehemiah. You see, one of the things that God wants us to do after we, re- we are convicted of our sin by the word of God and then we are moved by God to turn from our sin, at that point is usually where we mess up as Christians. Now, if you if a new believer or you don't know the Lord, God will convict you of sin and he will show you the sin bearer and he will show you his love and grace through Jesus Christ laying down his life for you to take your place in death, to take your place in eternal, complete separation from God. He saved you from that and instead took your punishment so that that penalty would not be incurred. <clears throat> Now, after that is where we mess up because then we say, okay, I'm a Christian. I should be doing much better than this. 
And now I've got convicted and now I'm going to repent. And now let me go start to make a list of everything I need to change and everything I need to do. And we go out usually in our own strength, at least initially. But God wants us to know that he wants at that very moment, he wants us to rely upon him. And again, so much so that these people were saying, go out and have a party. Rely on the Lord by obeying him to celebrate. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 to 14, because I believe what we do is we get caught up on, on what we've did, what we've done, the sins that are binding us, everything here, we get caught up with it. And Paul says, no, all that stuff, leave it behind. Forget it. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, meaning salvation. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he turns away from sin and he just keeps his eye on the prize and keeps moving forward. And in order to do that, God is saying, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. It's, joy, it's God's joy coming into an empty vessel that has been cleansed, that has repented, that has been convicted. And again, <clears throat> they told him here, I love this, in verse 11, be still. Just be still. What does that mean? Hush up. Keep silence. Hold your peace. Hold your tongue. Wait and surrender to the Lord and his joy will provide you strength. <clears throat> I love uh, in Psalm, um, I believe it's 4.4, 4, if I can understand my writing here. It says, tremble and do not sin. Meditate on your bed and be still. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate on your bed and be still. Do you ever find yourself lying on your bed? thinking about the Lord, minds racing around, you can't sleep. God is saying, no, forget those things which are behind. Be still, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know I am God and that I will be exalted among the nations and the earth. See, when we get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, off of our past, and we hand them to Christ, now we have true joy. That's the joy that transcends understanding. Just like the peace that transcends understanding, this joy will tra also transcend understanding. Now, the other things, uh, you know, they, uh, they were obviously told not to mourn or weep, and they were told to be still, move forward. They were also told here, secondly, that, <clears throat> well, they, not necessarily they were told, but they were told to gather at these squares in front of the water gate <clears throat> and in front of, uh, the other gate uh, was the gate of Ephraim. There were two different squares there. <clears throat> and they were told to gather. They weren't told to gather and listen to, you know, a motivational speaker. And I say that because it scares me on when, and I'm trying not to slam people here, but we, this pulpit here, not just physically this one in this church, but the pulpit of, uh, of a Christian church that's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe should be all about preaching the word of God and nothing else. 
And I hope that if I ever go off of that, you guys are, all of you will come and smack me around a little bit. But in verse 9 to 12 here, you know, <clears throat> well, I'm sorry. Um, they, they gathered here. I wrote verse 9 to 12 for what reason? I don't know. But <clears throat> they, <laughs> they received encouragement from who? Their overseers. They received encouragement from the appropriate places. So where are you going for your encouragement? You see, they went to their teachers and they went to their overseers. Now, this requires true selflessness. To go to somebody, be confronted in sin, to be confronted in sin has to have, you need selflessness to do that. But to be confronted in sin or to be told something to do afterwards by your teachers and by your overseers, that requires humble submission. Not encouragement by vain philosophy, which is deceitful, as Paul says. What's vain philosophy? <clears throat> You're so vain, right? Carly Simon. <clears throat> I bet you think this song is about you. I bet you think this sermon is about you, don't you? You know the song. Vain philosophy. What is it all about me, my heart, my ability, my inner power, my ability to stir myself up, my ability to be perfect and 100% diff, uh, uh, sinless and 100% disciplined? It's not going to happen. That's what the world will tell you. But they're only borrowing some partial truths off of the scripture. Because yes, we are to have all those things but the joy of the Lord has to be the source of our strength, which means it has already been done. We've been emptied. We're able to have the joy of the Lord in us and we're able to express it. We're able to move forward on it. That is not inner power. That is not your heart. But yet it is because you're trusting. But where's the object of it? It's not you. It's God, the joy of the Lord inside of you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man according to the elementary uh, principles of this world rather than according to christ and what else did they do they went out together they surrounded themselves with other believers with other people that were of the same mind they went out and celebrated <clears throat> and now who were these people these weren't just Jewish people who happened to be there. These are people like, imagine me telling you right now, guys, we're going to travel 800 miles to the city that we're going to be rebuilding, Jerusalem. I want you guys all here to leave your homes right now, leave your jobs and come with me. And we're going to build the wall. How are we going to eat, Pat? I'm not sure. But I know the Lord has led me and provided resources for us to get there. We'll figure it out. Aren't we going to be attacked by our enemies? Probably, but the Lord is our protection. He's going to be our guide. That's the people that were there. They had left everything to rejoin this movement and build. And that's who they were surrounded by, each other. A like-minded group of people. And so uh, how about you and your friends and the people that you're hanging out with and the people that I'm hanging out with? We have to analyze that. And I'm talking about very much here in context of this repentance and sin. What do we do next? 
We go to our overseers. We go to, our, uh, to other believers. We surround ourselves with people of God. And these people left all <clears throat> to rebuild. Now we know that they also were told to go celebrate. Now I like this too because it's not just celebrate. They were told to celebrate and they were told to serve. And I think these are two very good principles. When we come to repentance, when we come to conviction of sin, when we have that encouragement from our believers, now what we do is there is reason to celebrate. And one of the ways that we do that is through serving. God commands we serve him with joy. In Deuteronomy 28, 45 to 47, it says that you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for all the abundance of things that he's given us. I've added that he has given us that. That's Deuteronomy 28 to 45 to 47. But that's what they're talking about. Deuteronomy 28 is all of the curses and blessings that Moses was reading to the people. If they obey the Lord, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey the Lord and you don't and you break his commandment, you're going to, these are the curses that are going to be incurred. <clears throat> But you are not serving the Lord with joy, he says. Are you serving the Lord with joy? Or is it a drudge to sort of have to come here? I hate it when my wife has to wake me up on Sunday mornings at 1030 and say, you know you got to preach in 30 minutes, right? (laughs) No, just kidding. It's not quite 1030. And she doesn't quite do that. But if I, would you want me up here if I, was, if I was just not serving the Lord, which seemed to you a joyful thing? I'm not always joyful when I'm up here. And the same thing with you. You have, and I don't mean that in a way I'm not always joyful because I'm preaching the word. But there's not always like this great thing going on in Pat's life that he's just up there being this, you know, pastor and preaching. So, no, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's what we have to make sure that we focus on, that serving God with joy. Just like giving. We don't give out of compulsion. We don't give because we want to say, okay, God, you saw that, right? No, God loves a cheerful giver. It's the thing, it's about the heart. Now, again, they went out and they drank and they had this great festival. They ate, they drank and had a great festival, the Feast of the Trumpets. They were told to eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. Now, this is a proverbial expression. This isn't like, now go out and stuff yourselves and just drink until your heart's content. That's not what he's saying. This is a proverbial expression used back then when somebody was supposed to be celebrating, but they were grieving instead. No, 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 go out. You know, what's the matter with you? You know, party like it's 2099, you know, or whatever. Go out there and you should be celebrating because of the joy of the Lord, not mourning. And again, we see this day is holy three times in this passage. The holy, holy, holy. You see, <clears throat> holiness means set apart. And this is why there is rejoicing in heaven when someone repents and believes. You see, that is a holy time for the Lord. The day that you came to the Lord, And the day that you told Jesus, Lord, I'm yours, that was a holy day unto the Lord. That was a set apart day, just like it was for the Israelites. At this this point in time, God had said, and he knew before all time began, that the first day of the seventh month, when he shows the people just a glimpse of his promises, 
that they were going to be told to go and to celebrate and to have this joy. And yes, rejoice with me, these Levites are saying. Don't go out there and be mourning. Rejoice, like they said in Luke 15, 8 to 10, Jesus says, or what if a woman, if she has 10 silver coin and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner who repents. Repentance is separate and holy unto the Lord, and it brings God joy, but it brings, he spills that joy over into you as well. Again, we see the picture of the thrice holy God filling the earth, not just the temple, like Isaiah said. When he saw God lifted high, he was high and lifted up, and a train of his robe was filling the temple, and there was smoke, and he was, well, woe is me, right? And he was slayed down by the Lord's holiness. But there's also a picture of this again in Revelation. Now, why do I always go to Revelation? Because this temple uh, that Nehemiah is surrounding, his, his walls surrounding this temple, is a picture of the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven and merge with earth. Heaven and earth will come together and the whole entire earth will be what Nehemiah is surrounding right now. That's a picture of the whole entire earth. <clears throat> he says here in Revelation 21, 10 to 11, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her brilliance like a very costly stone of clear, uh, crystal clear jasper. So selfless, genuine, joyful fellowship and celebratory worship of the holy triune God will be desired when you get back on track. That's what God will, will, will work in your heart. Now, again, they also serve too, I thought really was neat, is by sending portions to the poor. So they were told here to all the, you know, they went away and they said, <clears throat> Um, let me see, go. send portions to him who has nothing prepared. So go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, but also don't forget those that have nothing. Don't forget those that have nothing. Send portions to the poor. Selfless giving. Now this is off of a law in Deuteronomy where, um, and, and in Leviticus 23 too, where the Jewish people were commanded not to cut the corners of their fields. They were for the gleaning ones, the poor. So the poor could go to a corner of a field and they could pick from it freely, whatever was left over um, or potentially whatever was just left there for them. Some people would leave a lot of corner. Some people would leave a little bit of corner. But during this festival, they were to go to the corners of their of their fields, not wait for the poor to come. They were to go to the corners and take portions and send it out to those throughout the land. Now, I thought this really interesting that God does not promote communism or socialism where, and again, this isn't a political ploy either way, but in the scripture here, it says Exodus 35, 15, the rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less than a half a shekel when you give contribution to the Lord. And also don't be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge each fairly. 
And my point in saying that is God wants the heart of his people, his church, to be the ones that give out of obedience and out of a joyful, cheerful heart. Not being compelled, not being forced, not saying you have to go out and give this much. No, let's see how much corner of your field you do have. You have left for the Lord. You know, some of them probably left little tiny corners like this. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm giving all over here, you know. But they served. So what, what is my point? Maybe I went a little off track. I don't know. But my point is, is that one of the important things that you should do is be serving God. When you come under conviction of the word of God, when you come under conviction of the word unto repentance, and I don't mean formal, necessarily formal ministry necessarily, but what I do mean is going out and looking for opportunities to minister to other people. This will bring you the greatest joy. God has an amazing character for the needy and poor. You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. Jesus and Matthew, the poor, had the gospel preached to them. And, And Paul puts us right in check. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. If I have not joy, it profits me nothing when doing that, giving. So the importance of serving God when getting back on track. So the joy of the Lord provides us our strength, but true joy is selfish. Uh, Did you catch that? Okay, selfless. So how do we do this? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the word made flesh. He is the ultimate example for us to live sacrificially, and have true joy despite our situation. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm amazed because at this, why we are so thick-headed, including myself, when we have access to our Lord and Savior and King, the sin-bearer, Jesus Christ, to come to. Not even for grace in the time of need, not just for prayer and for help and for do all these things, but as his example. Walk as Jesus walked, John says in his, in his, uh, one, in his uh, first letter. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author, meaning he created it, and he is the finisher of your faith or perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Despising the shame and has set down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. He's at the right hand of God, victorious. And he saw that joy, that ultimate life that he led was a selfless, sacrificial life that was animated by the power of God. He was God, a fully God, fully man, but he knew that his goal and purpose in life was to end up nailed to a cross and dying a death that he didn't deserve. And he did it for the joy set before him. What is that joy? Oh, I'm going to be so happy when I get up into heaven. Oh, it's going to be great when I get this thing over with. Nope. He was faithful to his father. That, That brought him joy. Faithful in the work that they agreed that he would do but it was also joyful because he knew 
that he would be saving you, his children, his elect, his people. The one that he spilled his blood for is that you have you trusted him fully? Are you fixing your eyes on him? That's what we must do. If you've been convicted by the word of God, meaning you understand and you've known you've sinned against God, the holy God of the universe, and you're trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ to cover your sins, do not mourn, do not weep, but rather have the joy of the Lord. Go out, celebrate, serve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? Father, we ask for that supernatural ability to see through these words, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I just want to thank you for the joy that you've given us, that you gave us in Christ Jesus, and how your joy strengthens us, Lord, not with physical muscle, not necessarily with mental capacity, Father, but in a spiritual way that brings you glory and that helps and loves others. So God, please help us analyze this message from you today, Lord, and help us act according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.